if you turn with me to, and we're just going to read a little, just because I'm going to bring you right through as much of this. I want to try and finish this if I can tonight. I want to bring you through so much of it. Uh, I want to try and not read too much at the start. Second Kings, please. The second book of Kings, and this is part four of Hezekiah, the reformer king. And we have spoken of uh, Hezekiah, sorry, Second Kings chapter 18. Um, we have spoken of Hezekiah, and we have mentioned him, but some of them, like last week, I read plenty and showed you the run-in of what was happening in Israel beforehand. And the reason is, this is a turning point here in the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. But I want to bring that uh, more out in the open for you, uh, time willing tonight. And I really want to try and do as much as I can of it. Let your eye run down to verse 13 just for time's sake. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah. Now note these terms, the fenced cities of Judah, and took them. Sennacherib came and took all the fenced cities of Judah. That's coming from the northern kingdom down. We'll look at it again. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent unto the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended, return from me. That which thou puttest on me I will bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. Now here's something we have to note here. Here he comes down, he's encroaching on to the 46 as of their fence cities, there's actually 46 of them around the border of Judah. Remember, like Northern Ireland, if I can give you a, a picture in your mind, then the Republic of Ireland, you picture the border around where Newry Town or City now is and Armagh around that direction. Do you remember when you used to go across the border, when there was a border there, and you used to see the big towers on the hills, the helicopters flying in and out, the British army towers? Well, you can imagine fortified cities like that. That's what it was like. So now, the king has come in from the north, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, has come in and he's moved right down and he's taken all of northern house of Israel and he's moved right onto the borders and he started to encroach into Judah and he's taken them. Hezekiah gets afraid and he says, I'll be your servant. What do you want? I'll pay you to go away. So he gives them the amount and he does it. Now we have looked also at how the Lord had brought a great miracle. We might finish there tonight. But you remember he comes right down then eventually to the very gates, or if you want, outside the walls of Jerusalem. And the Hezekiah starts to worship the Lord and say, Lord, I remember what I've done. I reformed Judah for you. I reformed and took down all the idols and all these things. But what happened was when he did this, the Lord did remember it. And the Lord read the papers. Remember, he gave him letters. Uh, and he says, Lord, the, the enemy has come and says, here's the letters. Here's your eviction notice. We're taking you captive like we have the northern kingdom. And so he puts them out before the Lord and he prays unto the Lord. And the next day, because he put his trust in it, they're outside shouting, don't let Hezekiah allow you to put the, your trust in the Lord. Don't let Hezekiah allow you to put your trust in the Lord God of Israel. He's not real. He hasn't stopped us taking Israel over. But what they didn't realize, they were just God's implement used at that time. And God had it all under control. So by the next day, the Lord says, he will fight the battle for them. By the time they go out, there's like 180, uh, I think it's 4,000, are lying dead outside. And Jerusalem is spared at this time. So when you think of it, I'm going to show you the two lines of kings. 
I'm going to make mention of all the kings of Akan and I've, I've just jotted them down. I'm going to tell you what they were like briefly, were the good, were the bad, what prophet was around and speaking to them. Because when you go through the Bible, in time it's chronological in time, but in order of book of the Bible, it's not necessarily like that. Okay, so for example, the book of Daniel comes way after the book of Hosea and Amos. Yet Hosea and Amos were way in time before Daniel. Okay, so I want to show you these as we, God willing, as we go through them. I jotted them down today and just uh, wrote them down as quick as I could as I went through the scriptures. So let me just give you a brief rundown to where we were before. Remember, David had Solomon, his son. Solomon, his son, uh, had many strange wives, foreign wives. They brought in their gods. And the Lord said, because of this, I'm going to rend the kingdom. And then he says, but I'm not going to rend it from you. I'm going to rend it from your son, Solomon. And then he says, I'm going to give it to his servant or your servant, Solomon. So Solomon's servant was called Jeroboam. He would be known as Jeroboam the first when he becomes king. He, he, he then is his servant. He runs and hides into Egypt. Solomon dies. He comes back out. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is now in charge. Rehoboam um, is there as king and he goes to the older men and they say, take it easy on the people. And the younger men say, make it even harder for them. Up their taxes. Give them good whipping if they don't pay you. He listens to the younger men and there's a revolt. And remember, the house of Joseph was mentioned, which was where Jeroboam was put in charge of under Solomon. Solomon didn't use his wisdom and say, this man's going to come against my son. I better get rid of him or I better not put him in charge. So Jeroboam had his foothold in the house of Joseph, which was another name for the people of the north, which would come a northern kingdom. So they come, they go to thy tents, O Israel, and they separate. But you remember before that, Ahijah the prophet comes to, uh, uh, comes to Jeroboam and he's wearing his nice new coat. And his new coat, and he pulls it off him, and he rents it into 12 pieces. He gives 10 to Jeroboam and says, The Lord's going to keep two for Rehoboam, Solomon's son. The house of Judah, where David comes from, and Benjamin to be a light bearer, the light bearing tribe with him. And they're, they become known as the house of Judah with the Levitical priestly tribe who had the inheritance from the tithe. They had no land inheritance. So now we have the, the, this prophecy that the nation's going to be rent in two. And now it comes... That Rehoboam is the king in Jerusalem in the south. Jeroboam goes up to the north and they set up their own capital called Samaria. So Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom, and it becomes known as the king of Israel. Or he becomes known as the king of Israel. It becomes known as the house of Israel. Now when we go through scripture, you'll see a change of name. I'm going to focus mainly on the house of Israel because the house of Judah comes further on down in time in that. And what you'll find is that you'll read the name Ephraim. Ephraim was a tribal name. He was the son of Joseph in Egypt. But all his descendants coming out are brought into the house of Jacob. And Jacob says, my name be upon him. Manasseh is mentioned. And that is not the king Manasseh, but the tribe in the north. And you have east and west Manasseh, depending what side of the river Jordan they were on. On the north. So when you have all of this, this is where you're hearing it's the same peoples. But really, when you read Ephraim, you're not thinking of the man who was born to Joseph. You're thinking of his people. But now it gets bigger. Ephraim's not only that tribal name, which leads the people 
It is also the name of the northern kingdom, the whole ten tribes. So when you read Ephraim from here, and you'll also read them, they're called Samaria after their capital city, Samaria. It's the northern kingdom. Okay? So now there's two, like Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, if you want. Two lines of kings, like Dublin and Belfast, a line of kings from Jerusalem, and a line of kings from uh, uh, Samaria. Okay? So here's where we go to first. Let's look at the kings of Israel. I'm going to look at Israel, and I'll try and give you a rough idea, because they overlap, and I don't want to confuse issues. But I'll give you the lines of who was alive in Israel as king, who was alive in Judah at the same time, these two kings. And then I'm going to tell you what they were like, just briefly, and then the prophet who spoke to them. And you'll get an idea then when you're reading the scriptures, who's talking to who. So first of all, we have Jeroboam, who had the ten pieces of his garment given to him. The Lord gives thee ten pieces, ten tribes. He brings them up, has Samaria, so that's Jeroboam the first, okay? He reigns for 22 years. He reigns for 22 years. And the prophet is, we've mentioned him, called Ahijah. That's the one who rents the garment, okay? And Ahijah is the known prophet there. While he's on the throne, we've mentioned Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is in Jerusalem, ruling from Jerusalem. So here's your two kings, Samaria, Jerusalem, Jeroboam, Rehoboam. Okay, is everybody with me? And then when you get to this place, what you'll find is, is that not only the, the, their worship changes, Jeroboam then sees the people still wanting to go to Jerusalem because that's where the temple of the Lord is. So he says, don't go down there, he says. The people will start turning in me if they find out the reality of whom God's true line is. As for worship is in Judah. So what he does is he sets bull calves. Mark it down, we looked at it last week. One in Dan and one in Bethel. And he says, these be thy gods of Israel who brought thee out of Egypt. So you have the northern kingdom and at the top of it and at the bottom of it, you have bull calves to go and worship. They became shrines for them to worship. And remember, in the book of Exodus, Israel took the gold and they made the golden calf and Moses smudged the calf when he came down the mount. And again, when you go right into Egypt, they worshipped and they deified the calves or bulls. So that's where that would come from. When you then hear of uh, the Ephraim being, or the house of Israel being symbolized, Ephraim coming out of Egypt being symbolized on Israel's banners, you know every tribe had a banner, you see Ephraim's banner is an ox head or a bull's head. Okay, and that's where that comes from. So he is the ox head or the bull's head because he represents the whole northern kingdom. So they have bull calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. These be thy gods of Israel, so they worship there. So Judah and Benjamin, the wee tribe of Benjamin, and Levi still in Jerusalem, and they're worshipping in the temple. So Jeroboam is the king of Israel, and Rehoboam is the king of Judah. Now, there's different prophets for Israel and Judah. Okay, so Jeroboam, 22 years he was king in Israel in the north, in Samaria, and he had a hide of the prophet there at that time. When Rehoboam was king, the main prophet there was Shemaiah. That's what you call the main prophet. You're going to start to get to know the names of more prophets, more, uh, if I can call it well-known, because we, we hear of them more. So Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Next in Jeroboam, after him, was Nadab, and he reigned 27 years. Every king in Israel was a bad king. Every single one from Samaria 
from the northern kingdom, every one of them, it says, they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Every one of them. And see the mercy of God. The mercy of God is just reaching to them. So here we have Jeroboam, then Nadab, 27 years. In the north, after, or in the south, after Rehoboam, we have Abijah. And he came after Rehoboam, and he was only reigning for three years. So Rehoboam and Abijah, they were bad kings. So north and south had bad kings. They didn't follow the Lord. They did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then in, the, in Israel and in Samaria, after Nadab, came Basha, and he was 24 years. He was a bad king. It was the same prophet, Ahijah, was around. And then in the north, Rehoboam, Abijah, you had Asa. And he reigned 41 years. And he was in the south in Jerusalem, in Judah. And he was a good king. He was the first good king from Solomon before he backslid, if you want. He was the first good king. Asa, A-S-A, 41 years he reigned. Now, that length of reign then, in the kings of Israel in the north, you had Elah, for two years he just reigned, and Zimri, who reigned for seven days. <laughs> he got seven days on the throne. Now, next after him came Omri, and he became an infamous king. And that's where I told you before that when they were carried away and there were wars there with the Assyrians, they called the house of Israel the house of Omri because he was such a well-known king. And if you go to the British Museum and you read the, the clay tablets there or you go to see the black obelisk and you can see the carvings of Omri paying homage to the king of Assyria. It's all carved out in the stone. But they call it the house. They didn't say Omri, they call it Qumri. And that's where the name, they started losing name, started losing identity when they were starting to be carried away. Omri, Qumri, the Chimerian, the Gamerian. Even they became known as Galatian. Paul's writing to the Galatians. To the Celtoi, to the Celts. Celtic peoples. And they start losing their name as they go along. Now notice this. So Omri reigned in Israel, or in the house of Israel, for 12 years. Now comes the first, if you want, uh, the first, if I can call it the more popular known prophet, Elijah. Starts to come out. Now, we don't read to him until Ahab's on the throne. But Elijah would have been around by his age, I mean, at that time. But he'll start coming out at this point. First Kings 17 will tell you that. Mark it down and read it when you go home. I haven't time to go through it. We all know about Elijah. And he comes into Ahab. So after Omri's 12 years, Ahab is on the throne for 22 years. Okay? For 22 years. Now, that's in the kings of Israel in the north. Up till Ahab. He marries Jezebel. And you know the story of Ahab and Jezebel. And the prophet comes and he builds the altar and the 12 stones and the, and the, and the 12 barrels of water. And it all represents the 12 tribes. He's making sacrifice for the whole Israel nation and the south too. And Elijah is a prophet to the northern kingdom. So Elijah isn't a prophet to Judah, stroke the Jews. He's a prophet to the Israelites. Remember last week I told you to separate 2 Kings 16 and 6. 16 and 6, you'll find the first time it's mentioned and they're warring against each other. So Elijah is, is the prophet to the northern kingdom. And at the northern kingdom, he is then the one who obviously we know, who calls a fire down 
and then he goes and hides in the cave after you know being the brook sheriff and so on. And the Lord bakes him a cake, or the angel of the Lord bakes him a cake, and he's hiding in the brook cherith. Now, in that space of time, from Jeroboam to Ahab, you have then Elijah comes out uh, in First Kings seventeen to Ahab. You've only got one, two, three, four kings have come in the southern kingdom: Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, and you'll heard of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king out of Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, okay? And he, Jehoshaphat, I'm pretending here that there's a map here, okay? Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem was, at, was around at the same time as Ahab, the wicked king, who Elijah was, pre- was preaching against. So Jehoshaphat and Ahab, and then Ahab asked him to come and go to war against Syria with him. Now, Jehoshaphat's the, 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 the king who looks to the Lord and says, we know not what to do, but our eyes are on thee. But he makes a wrong decision. He starts to walk with a backslider. And the backslider makes him make wrong decisions. <laughs> Does not sound familiar. When you're in an ungodly company and in a backslidden company, they will start bringing you down with them. And what will happen? You'll start to make wrong decisions. Jehoshaphat, the good king, made wrong decisions. Jehoshaphat was 25 years on the throne in Jerusalem. And in that time, you'll read of Micaiah. Now, I want to read this to you. Turn to 1 Kings. Turn to 1 Kings 20, 22. We'll just skip across these because I've, I've quite a bit of reading for you. 1 Kings chapter 22. Now, let me just skip across the chapter as best I can to keep the story. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. Now, that's the northern kingdom. When they talk Israel now, they're not talking about Judah, stroke Jews, and the southern. This is the northern kingdom. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, notice, came down to the king of Israel. Now, what do you mean came down? When you look at the map, Israel's the north. Judah, Jerusalem was up on a hill. It's geographically higher, as in sea level higher. That's what he means, coming down. To the, to the lower lands. Not in the map. It's because you're going up in the map, if you know what I mean. Okay. Came down to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy, as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Notice that. Here is his prophets, 400 prophets from the house of Israel who are not of a godly line, who are wicked prophets, who are not prophets that know Yahweh, Jehovah God. They don't know him at all. And, and here's this man, this King Jehoshaphat, who sits on the anointed throne of Jehovah. And he says, will we go or will we not? And he says, let me ask my prophets. Ahab says, come on, we'll ask mine. All sorts of wickedness, prophets of Baal. And they're saying, go up, you're going to take it. You go up, you're going to take it. Now notice what happens. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet here of the Lord beside that we may inquire of him? 
And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hear him. (laughs) Straight to the point, I hate him. It tells you why. I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. <laughs> In other words, the king's saying, I don't like Micaiah. You know why I don't like him? Because he never gives me good news. He's always pointing out my sin. Do you ever get people like that? Whenever you're saying, you know what? Here's the word of the Lord. And they're saying, oh, don't you be pointing my sin out to me now. You're prophesying evil against me. Listen, see if you don't get saved. The wrath of God abides on you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, it's all about love. That's somebody during the week from the States come on to me about that. It doesn't say anywhere in the New Testament that God has wrath. So I give them about 15 verses, all one after the other, all with the wrath of God on those who reject Christ. Hey man, if you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides upon you. And here he's saying the wrath of God is abiding on you. I hope you better get yourself right or God's going to take me out. And he's going, I, 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 I want to hear things that will tickle my ears. I want to hear the good stuff. I want to hear the easy listening. I want to hear stuff that's not going to challenge me. I want to hear stuff that I can go home and feel comfortable in my own skin. I don't want to go home and lie in bed at night and think, is God wanting me to change or is God dealing with me with something? Just tell me something that I'm going to like. I hate him. And you beware, brother, sister, because see when you start telling people the word of the Lord and the truth, and you know it's the truth, I'm not talking about judging people for the sake of it. When you start giving them what the word of the Lord says, you know what happens? I hate you for it. They hate you for it. Notice what he says. Let not the king say so. Come on now, Ahab. Bring him up. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten thither, thither Megahiah, the son of Imlah, and the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put, their, put on their robes in a void place at the entrance. Notice where it is, at the gate of Samaria. Now, the gate of Samaria doesn't mean they're standing outside the city waiting at the gates. It gives the idea of the government level of Samaria. This is the gate of it. So they're right in government level. They're standing in their robes. They're saying, get the one more prophet. 400 has come and says, go this way. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah the son of Chaniah. Now that's not Zedekiah the prophet. Made him horns of iron. And he said thus saith the Lord. With thee shalt thou push the Syrians. Until thou hast consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so saying. Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper. For the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. So here this old prophet comes. And he's called Zedekiah. And he's not a prophet of the Lord at all. He's a false prophet. And he makes these horns of iron. And they're all very demonstrative. And we'll look at that, God willing, in a minute, where the Lord says, I've brought men to be demonstrative in truth, and you've turned them away. And he comes with horns of iron and says, you want to push them. You want to push them. You know, sometimes I've seen preachers walking about the stage and they like to bring out all their different wee uh, wee illustrations. And that's all right for an illustration. But they start bringing out demonstrations. There's a church in America and they drive motor cars every Sunday onto the stage and he preaches from the back of, of a Chevy or something. That's the truth. He does. I can't remember the name of it. It's a massive church. And he preaches soft words. It's filled. It's packed. So then this man comes here. Here. Push him. Go on. You'll do it. These are like the horns. Make sure you're going to be like the bull calf. These are the bull. 
You, you are the ones who have the gods of Dan and of Bethel. And they're not realizing this is not the God of Israel at all. Go and do it and you'll prosper. Isn't that what we want to hear? You go and do it and everything's going to be all right. It's going to be great. You go and do it in the name of the Lord. Go and do it. And the Lord says, I haven't said that. I haven't spoken that. You're lying on my behalf. And listen, God deals with it. So he says in verse 13, And the messenger that was gone to call Micah, I spake unto him, saying, Behold now the words of the prophets. Now notice what the messenger tells Micah, I of the prophet. Behold now the words of the prophets. Declare good unto the king with one mouth. Watch what you're saying when you go. Don't preach something to upset him. Don't preach hard words that will challenge him. Don't turn against the crowd. Go with the flow. Be politically correct today. Don't say anything that's hard or that may get you thrown out of your pulpit. Watch what you're saying when you're putting it over the airwaves and the Samaria telegraph. He says, watch what you say when you go before the king. At thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them. And speak that which is good. I notice. He's warning him. He's saying, my guy, you see when you go up and you stand before Ahab and Jehoshaphat, the two kings. He says, when you go there, just go along with everybody else. The usual preaching. Just go along with the usual word. And listen, you just go home and forget about it. There's no skin of your nose, as we would say, you know. It's not going to be a problem to you. It's going to be easy for you. And brothers and sisters, you know, today, they want preachers to be like that. They don't want you to... They don't want you to ruffle any feathers and they don't want you to make life uncomfortable by bringing the real word of God. They don't want you to be too passionate about it. If you're too passionate, you're just an idiot and a fool. Give me a 20-minute sermon on, on, how to, on how to have a good day and five ways to be blessed in life. And the Lord says, you want to be blessed, humble yourself under my mighty hand and I'll lift you up. So see when you go, watch your mouth. Watch this. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. I read it again. As the Lord liveth, that what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, Shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle? Or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Hold on, he meant, Micaiah, you're not meant to say that. But the king says, This boy is winding me up here. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing? But that which is true in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I want to know God's word. Just give it to me. I can take it. That's what he's saying. Just give it to me. And then when you do, you're in trouble. I love it whenever you preach the truth. Well, here's the truth. No, but for somebody else. <laughs> Here am I, Lord. Send him. Notice what he says. 
And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. <coughs> and the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? <laughs> you see what I mean? In other words, he's saying, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I need to hear. My guy says, okay, here it is. That every man in Israel, that is the northern kingdom, go back to his house in peace. In other words, Jehoshaphat, even Judah, send back your men. Don't go to battle. They have no leader. Jehoshaphat, listen, they have no leader here. He says, now let them go back in peace. Don't send them into war. They're not ready. It's not of me. So old Ahab, the king of Israel, wasn't too happy. Verse 19, he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. Notice, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he says, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. There's a lying spirit in many pulpits today. In the mouth of many of his false prophets. Ahab's prophets. I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he, shall, and he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth. And do so. Notice this. Now, today's theology is God is no wrath. God is love. That's his essence. He is. He, that's just what he is. But God has wrath. It's different. He doesn't sit in a state of wrath, but he is provoked to wrath. He sits, as it were, in a state of love. But here the Lord shows his sovereignty over all. And this spirit comes and he says, what are you going to be? He says, I'll be a lying spirit. Now the Lord knows this is for our knowledge here. He says, then you go and do that. Why did God allow him to do that? Because God is justified. Our father is justified in every action <laughs> he does. Everything that he does, every judgment he does, he's justified. There's not one person that will go to a devil's hell that God is not justified in allowing that to happen because of the rottenness of our hearts, the depravity of our nature. So if people want to listen to a lying spirit, if people want to listen to a better spirit, if people want to listen to another spirit but the Holy Spirit, the Lord will let you as long as your heart allows it to happen. So now we say, Lord, I want to listen for your voice. I don't care what it costs me. I'm listening for you. So when we go back to the lines of the king, uh, of the kings of Israel, we have Ahab who reigned 22 years and again he was bad and Micaiah was the, uh, the prophet 
And in, in the southern kingdom of Judah, we had Jehoshaphat, as we have read. After Ahab, in Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, we had Azariah. He reigned just two years. You had Joram come after him. He reigned 12 years. And in that time, Elisha starts coming out into the scene then, where Ahab and Jezebel are, and then they die. And these kings start raising their heads, and Elijah's caught up into heaven by the whirlwind of the Lord. And Elisha takes his mantle and receives the double portion. Now, we know all the story of that. And if you want to read that, you can read 1 Kings 19 onward around there. Then you have Azariah, Joram, and Jehu. Azariah, two years. Joram, 12 years. Jehu, 28 years. They're all bad kings. He's the one who's famous for chariot racing. It says, uh, when they seen him coming, you see the clouds of dust. And they knew it was Jehu, he says, for he drives his one who drives his chariot furiously. He was, he was a speed king, you know, he, and that's how he was known. After Jehu, you had Jehoahaz, who was 17 years. And then when you get to Jehoahaz, you have the book of Jonah around his time. Jehoahaz and Jonah. Turn with me, just for uh, time's sake, to 2 Kings chapter 2. I'll tell you what, let's move for time's sake. We'll go to 2 Kings 14 instead. It's just too much time. But you can read about Elisha then in 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 14. And just let your eye, if you will, run down to verse 21. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, which was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. And he built Elath and restored it to Judah after that the king slept with his fathers. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. So here's your two kings now. So who is reigning at this time is Joash in Israel. Okay, so that tells you who is reigning. And he reigned 41 years in Israel, or in Judah rather, Israel's king, um, kings were all evil, but some of Judah's were good. I'm going to read those out to you in a moment. In Judah, Jerusalem, you had Jehoshaphat, you had Jehoram, who was eight years, and he was a bad king, after Jehoshaphat being a good king. Then you had Ahaziah, who only reigned for one year in Jerusalem, and he was a bad king. You had Athaliah. He reigned six years. He was a bad king. Then you had Joash, who reigned 40 years. 40 is the number of trial and testing in the Bible. The Lord Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights in the, the wilderness, being tried and tested, tempted of the devil. And of course, we have the 40 years, or the 400, representing 40 days, representing 400 years uh, of, of Israel's uh, captivity and walking around wilderness. Okay, so uh, this is the way, uh, this is meted out in 40s. So here the Lord is saying to Judah, the temple in Jerusalem, he's saying, now be good. I'm putting a good king on the throne. 
be good. And Joash is 40 years. Around this time, you read the book of Joel to the southern kingdom. Okay, Joel. In the north, you'll notice this. See the kings of, and the kings of Israel in the north. You're going to read that they were swamped with prophets. And there wasn't as many who prophesied to the south. And yet they were the worst. The more preaching they do sometimes, the worse people get. More hardened hearts. You know, Ulster is full of people that's like burnt over ground as hard as the road. Their hearts as hard as the road. Especially the Protestant community. They have heard street preachers. Uh, they have had criers in the middle of the street. They have had open airs all over the place. They have had churches in every corner. They have had the gospel. They have had Sunday schools. They have had children's meetings. Youth camps. And they're hard. Especially the Protestant people. There's, a, there's a, an opening. I was told last night I was at a meeting and there's an opening at the minute and there's many, many Catholics around the border now who are starting to turn to the Lord because there's great work going on down in there around the border and many of the Catholic people are turning to God. I was just talking to a fellow about it last night. He says he's putting tons of material in there. He says it's fantastic. And so there's an opening here where people who haven't really heard the true gospel. So... They, they were, the northern kingdom became harder and harder and harder. And why there was hardening and softening and hardening and softening up and down. So that's what we're all like, isn't it? In the southern kingdom of Judah. So, Joash was 40 years. And if you let your eye just run down to our reading there. Verse 24, 2 Kings fourteen twenty four, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the, the king of Samaria now. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam. This is the man who set up the bull calf, remember, who ran the kingdom. He done all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake, notice, by the hand of his servant Jonah. Now there's Jonah's mentioned. By the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hepar. Now, Jonah is a prophet again to the northern kingdom. Remember Jonah, the Lord says, go unto Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. And Jonah does what? Goes to the coast, gets on a ship to go to Tarsus, and the Lord sends the big fish, the, the whale, or whatever you want to call it, and they throw him overboard in the storm because they're going to sink. And the fish brings him back and spits him onto the beach. Now the Lord speaks to Jonah the second time. Go and do what I told you. It's easier to obey the Lord the first time. To obey is better than sacrifice and the hearken and the fat of rams. You know why Jonah didn't want to do that? Why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because Nineveh was one of the main capital cities, Nineveh and Babylon, of the Assyrians. So the Assyrians are here, away in the north, they're sitting as the enemy's ready. God says, go and preach to the Assyrians because I'm going to use them and they're going to, I'm going to wipe them out for their sin, but I'm going to use them first to take away your people. And Jonah goes, oh yeah, I'm getting onto the boat, I'm out of here. That's what he does. That's why he went. And he's on the boat to go to our Tarsus. Now we looked at that, the place of smelting, round, out through the pillars of Hercules. Pillars of Hercules is the ancient name of the Straits of Gibraltar. Do you know if you go to the Straits of Gibraltar, and you go up into the hill of Gibraltar, the actual rock itself, you go to the top and you start, there's actually, it's like a honeycomb cave, and they used to have the army barracks right in the centre, inside the rock itself, and you can walk right down around it, and there's holes out where they used to stick the cannons out, overlooking the Straits of Gibraltar, 
and there's actually cut out into the rock just big uh, rooms and they used to store gunpowder in it and then they used to sleep in it and they used to change the guards in them and they actually live inside the rock. You can actually go in and look around it. But see when you're at the top of it, there's a cavern drops a way, way down. It's just blackness. Just pure black. And you can't see anything. You can't even hear anything if you drop something down to the bottom of it. And you know what? There's a big plaque when you read it and it says this was called the Pillars of Hercules and they mentioned some of the Greek scholars and, and philosophers and, they, um, and that's what they called it then. And then they says, this is also known then as the gates of hell. Now listen, there's a place I know in northern Palestine where they call the gates of hell, up around the northern territory as well. But could it be, could it be that the gates of hell, when the gospel's going out, going past the Straits of Gibraltar, because they believed around the Mediterranean area, that was the whole known world as they believed it, as it were, or what they thought was the civilised world, if you want. Could it be that they believed whenever they went outside the Straits of Gibraltar, hence getting on the ships of Tarsus to get away from God, you were outside of God's jurisdiction? Could it be that when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel, I will build my church. Because they're going out towards where the trips of Tarsus went, out through the, 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 the gates of hell, the pillars of Hercules, the straits of Gibraltar. That's just a thought. That's not fundamentally. But that's what I have. When I read that, I thought, I just came to my mind. I thought, Lord, are you talking how the gospel would go out there after it? And that's where it went. Paul wanted to go to Spain, which is actually just outside Tarsus, where the actual town is. But then Tarsus is known as the coastlands round by the British Islands. Just a thought to you. So, here we have Jonah is mentioned. Jonah goes and he's raging that God uh, starts, uh, uh, withdraws his wrath and people are coming to faith by preaching across Nineveh. Nineveh was 60 miles to walk around it. It wasn't just a wee town. And he walked right across, three days it took you to walk across Nineveh. And they average it out 20 miles a day walking, 60, day, 60 miles. So when you get to this king, Jehoash of Israel, um, and you get to Joash in Judah, you have Joel and the prophet down in the south. Jonah comes into play in the north. Then after that, you have Jehoash, who is 16 years on the throne. And again, he's a bad king. And you have Amos, the prophet. After him, you have Jeroboam the second. Remember the first one was the one who started the northern kingdom. You have Jeroboam the second. Now, this is important because when he comes, you have Amos and Hosea, whose ministry is all to the northern king of Israel, kings of Israel and the people of Israel. And they overlap each other. So I want to show you just some of the things that maybe uh, you'll hear and you'll go, what is that what that means? Is that what you're saying? Turn with me to the book of Hosea. And then we'll maybe look at we'll maybe look at Amos. The book of Hosea. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. And as I said, chronologically in time, Hosea is before Daniel. See why Daniel in your Bible and then Hosea. But in time, Hosea was before Daniel. So people reading it to think that's all in order, but it's not like that in order. It is in time, but not in order of the Bible. Hosea is known as 
It's a, a book. This is one of my favorite Old Testament books. And Hosea is preaching to the northern kingdom. He's prophesying to them. And when you look at it, you have Hosea, you have Gomer mentioned, and then you have their children. Now, we can't go into it all today. Notice what it says here. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Berai. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Notice the word Hezekiah. So he is on the throne in Judah around his time of ministry as well. But Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom. Hezekiah is in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. I notice this. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Go take thee a wife of whoredoms, the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. And he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. There is that name in it again, remember? On the house of Jehu. And I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. The ten tribes. Okay? I will cause it to cease. Did you read the word cease there? Does it say that in your Bible? Because some people think it didn't cease. I will cause it to cease. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her Lo Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bone, or by sword, nor by battle, nor by horses, nor by horsemen. Now the Lord says, I want you to represent in your children what's going to happen in the land. Hosea, you're me. Marry a wife of whoredoms, the children of whoredoms. That's not the heathen. That was the house of Israel. That's how sinful they were. They were vile at this time. I mean, absolutely wicked and vile. From the top to the bottom, right down. And, and, and he says, I want you to marry from the whoredoms. And or was that as the children who have committed whoredom before me. My own Israel people. So he marries Gomer. Gomer has children. He says, now call one Jezreel. I'm going to say your first one. I'm going to avenge blood on the house of Jehu, which is the king, as I told you of, that was earlier in the house of Israel from Samaria, the wicked king, whom, uh, whom you can read about in the, the clay tablets I was telling you about earlier. The Qumri, so he says, I'm going to have his descendants that are here, any that are left, I'm going to bring blood on them because they were so wicked. Then he says, your next child, he says, I want you to call uh, your, your next child, Lo Ruhamah, for I will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel. The next one represents what I'd have. No mercy. Then he says, I'll have mercy on Judah, the southern kingdom. It says, and now she weaned Lo Ruhamah, verse 8, she conceived and bare a son. Then said, God call his name Lo Ami or Lo Ami. For you are not my people and I will not be your God. Now that's the northern kingdom. So the southern kingdom of Judah, who become known as the Jews, they're still in favor. Israel are not. Israel are, they're to be wiped out as a nation, not as a, an, as a people, as a nation. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Lord, what are you saying? Simple. Turn to John's gospel. 
Turn to John's Gospel. See, when you get to know the Old Testament, the New Testament lights up. The New Testament lights up. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that were that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the Lord says, I'll say you are not my son, but here he says, I will call you my son. And without turning to it, First John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. So he says, I'm going to send the gospel out after them. And my gospel will reach them, and others will be added. He says, and they will be the sons of God, the daughters of God. Can you see that? Now it's all in Christ. See Christ coming into the picture. God's bigger picture was that this gospel would go out. How was it carried out? Remember the tribe of Benjamin and Judah? The light-bearing tribe? It means they carried forth the word of life. They carried the light of the gospel when they went forth. Okay, let me just flick through some of these for you. Go to Hosea chapter 8, just for time's sake. Just for time's sake. I'd love to do a study right through Hosea sometime. Hosea chapter 8. And just let your eye run down to verse 5. Thy calf, O Samaria. Now you know what they're talking about, don't you? What calf? The bull calf they're worshipping, remember? Now you know why. Who's Samaria? The northern kingdom. What is Samaria? The capital city where their kings were. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 5. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Thine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain it, attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also the work man made it. Therefore, it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. They have sown the wind, they shall reap the whirlwind. See what they're sowing is what you reap. Is that the saying? Is that what Paul brings out in, the, in his letters? Not what a man sows, that's what he shall also reap. This is why Paul's taking these. They, they aren't just plucked out of the air. The Holy Spirit's bringing these out of the apostles. And he's bringing it out to write this down because they're writing to people who'll understand the language because it's going out after them. So whenever you're, you're reading this, always think the New Testament, what would be the Old Testament version if you know it? Read it. And I'll strengthen you because you see God's hand at work. Okay, so then go to verse 8 just. Israel is swallowed up, but now, uh, sorry, let me say it again. Israel is swallowed up, now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. See the word Gentiles simply means among the nations, other peoples. I'm going to scatter them. Where there is no pleasure. Notice, for they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. There's Ephraim coming in. That's the name of the northern kingdom, the Assyrians. Jonah has went and preached them. They have turned to God. God has took away his wrath. And now the Assyrians are going, we're coming. We're coming. And they're saying, well, we'll come cap and hand to you. And that's what they were doing. Instead of turning to God, they started bowing down to the Assyrian. The Assyrian comes and then takes them away. <coughs> So then whenever we read on, 
uh, verse 8, verse 11, just for time's sake, because Ephraim, Ephraim hath, hired, hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Now, see, every time you now read Ephraim or put our nation in there, put UK in there, put Great Britain in there. Every time you read it, you think of it. Notice this. Ephraim hath made many altars of sin. United Kingdom has made many altars of sin. I have written to him great things in my law, but they were counted as a strange thing, and we can see that today, can't we? They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifice of mine offerings, and eat it, and the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity, and visit their sins, they shall return to Egypt. Now the idea here is that they are not going to turn literally to Egypt, but to Assyria. He's labeling Assyria as Egypt from beforehand into a captivity. That's the idea of this. For Israel hath forgotten his maker. Britain has forgotten his maker. Ulster has forgotten her maker. For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples. And Judah, here's the southern kingdom, hath multiplied, here's the fenced cities, remember? Remember at the start I told you about the Assyrians come down to the fenced cities, under the border, take 46 fenced cities, and there's around, they reckon there's, on these small cities, there was about 200 or just over 200,000 taken with the house of Israel. Judah was saying, we have fortified cities. Look what's happening to you up there. Look what's happening to you up there. And the Lord says, is that right? I'll sort you out in a moment. They've multiplied fenced cities, and I will send fire upon his cities and will devour the palaces thereof. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God and hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. Verse 7 of chapter 9. That thy days of visitation are come, the days of recompense. Chapter 9, verse 7, sorry. Chapter 9, verse 7. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. Notice this. Now you notice this is what's happening when you hear about the gospel. This is what's happening in the courts today. This is what's happening in our streets when the people are trying to preach the word and they're being arrested for preaching God's word. This is what's happening in the churches now. Even the church doesn't want to hear the word of God. Notice what it says. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad. Is that what people think of you? The spiritual man and spiritual woman, you're just mad? You believe in God? Is that not what they say then, what I told you the other week, when they come right down, the Assyrians, and they encamp around Jerusalem, they say, you're mad to listen to Hezekiah, don't let him make you put your trust in the Lord. And he's saying, now in Israel, the northern kingdom, he says, you're saying the prophets, he says, well, they're fools, and the spiritual man is mad, for the multitude of thine iniquity and great hatred. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in his ways, and hatred in the house of his God. Stay with me. I'm going to wrap this up. Verse 17. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him and they shall be wanderers among the nations. Let your eye go into the next chapter, verse 1. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. 
He hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly things. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. Now you can read that later. But see the first line, Israel's an empty vine. John chapter 15. And verse 1, the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine. Why does he say it? Because the vine was the symbol of Israel who had went astray to be a light unto the nations or the Gentiles and they failed in every place. And here he says, you are an empty vine. But when he comes in the flesh, he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true Israelite. That's what Jesus is saying. And we are branches of him. Let your eye run down again, time's sake, to verse 8. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as foam upon the water. Sorry, that's verse 7. High places of Aven, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, to the hills fall on us. You mark Revelation 6 and verse 16. <coughs> Revelation 6, verse 16. Go read that when you go home. And what does the word say? The opening of the seals and the pouring out of God's judgment. It says, they'll say to the rocks, fall on us and cover us from the face of him who sits on the throne. God's looking at them and he's saying, when you see me, you'll see me in wrath. Isn't that mighty? You see where the New Testament is being pulled out of this? Let your eye run down again. The verse 12. Notice here it is. Our verse 11. Ephraim is an heifer. Here's the, the bull again. That is taught. And loveth to tread out the corn. But I passed over her fur neck. I will make Ephraim deride. Uh, Judah shall ply. And Jacob shall break clothes. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You see, I'm saying, you need to start breaking up your heart here and start turning to me because I'm coming. You better get ready. I'm going to send a judgment on you. We're almost finished, Hosea, and we'll stop at Hosea. Turn to chapter 12. Verse 8. And Ephraim says, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance. In all my labors, they shall find non iniquity in me that were sin. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus says to the Laodicean church, that is today's church age, before his coming, Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Thou knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. You see where it's coming from? So the language of it must be known as the gospel's going, or no one know what they're talking about. And God says he'll do this. So I was chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. And I, and I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, yet, I will yet make thee to dwell in the tabernacles as the day of the solemn feast. I have also spoken by the prophets. I have multiplied visions and new similitudes. Here it is. By the ministry of the prophets. I have come and I've had one lie on his side for 40 days. Naked. 
Do you know why? <laughs> that I would catch your attention. You would see the brevity of Judas' sin. He says, in Israel, yours was even worse. Yours was longer. He says, I've done all these things, and what do I need to do to capture your attention? Brother, sister, let's remember. What does he need to do to capture our attention? Sometimes he's speaking to us. He almost skywrites things for us. He's telling us what to do. And we say, tell me what I want to hear. Lord, tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. The last one in Hosea, chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 9, please. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. You're your own worst enemy. You have destroyed yourself. Britain, you have destroyed yourself. Look what you've done. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Isn't that amazing? Even at this hour of the day, in me, he says, is your help. Maybe you've destroyed your life, but in me is your help. Your nation is destroyed. Ulster is being destroyed. But if we turn, he says, in me is your help. I can still help you. Even at the worst of times when it's, it seems it's all over, it's finished and done, he says, if you want, I can still help. The last minute, the last hour, I can still help. In me is your help. I will be thy king, whereas any other that may save thee in all thy cities, and thy judges of whom thou hast, thou sayest, give me a king and princes. Notice, I give thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. Talking about Saul here. We want to be like all the other nations who has a king. The Lord says, but I'm your king. See, it's not a democracy or a, a republic that really is the, the, the perfect governmental way to have. And they're having that in the States at the minute. It isn't even, it isn't even a, a, a monarchy. It's the proper way. It's a theocracy. The rule and reign of God. And God says, I was your monarch. I was your theocracy. You lived through me. But you didn't want me. I wasn't enough. So I gave you a king. And look what he did. So it took him away my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place for the breaking forth of children. Notice this. Here is where Paul gets it. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. The Lord says, even though those who uh, may die in their grave and go and have died and have trusted in me, he says, I will pay the price. I will come and shed my blood. I will be risen from the dead. I will break the curse of the grave over them. He says, and those who are in me, I will rise with me. That's what he's saying. I'll rise them up. And Paul says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Eh? So, oh, grave. 
We're only halfway through the kings there. There's so many of them. So many of them. When we get to Hezekiah, when you get to Hezekiah, things change because the kings of Israel are all taken away. Some more kings of Israel left, but they're taken away. The kingdom's taken. Judah's left on its own, and it starts going corrupt. And Hezekiah sees this army coming down, takes the fence cities, and then Hezekiah says, Lord, help us. And he brings reformation to the land of Judah. And God slays the enemy until Hezekiah forgets the Lord. That's another story. We'll go into it some other time.